Hello and welcome to our global S&OP community weekly podcast Brought to you by Ahmed Khalid and Ahmed Al-Hamamsi from Middle East Our global S&OP community podcast mission is to build a global community from supply chain, marketing, trade marketing, sales and finance all over the world Where everyone's voice could be heard and listened Every week we host a new episode with great thought leader in the S&OP industry. We believe that one word, one story, or one conversation could open up the light in the screen of your consciousness and you'll never be the same again. We discuss hot and trending topics with our subject matter experts by asking the right questions that uncover their valuable experience in our show. You can visit our website ahmedkhaled.com .co Stay tuned every week with our global S&OP community podcast. And our amazing guest today is Dr. Steven Thacker. And uh, let me give you a, a, an introduction about uh, Dr. Steven. Steven Thacker is a business consultant and he is a practitioner who has more than 20 years of experience in supply chain in Asia and Australia. His experience is overloaded with great values in the supply chain end to end. Starting from supply chain strategies, uh, uh, starting also from supply chain strategy development, S&OP implementation, 3PL tendering, demand planning, transportation planning, vehicle routing optimization, supply chain network design, warehousing designs, CPFR, and supply chain benchmarking. He contributed in re-engineering and improvement for companies like KFC, General Motors, Ford, Nissan, Heinz, GE Plastics, ISO, Pfizer, DB Shankar, Panasonic, Honda, L'Oreal, and more and more and more and more of companies like this. So let me seize this moment and let's together welcome our great thought leader today, Dr. Stephen Thacker. And as usual, please let's give him the compu applause. <laughs> Hello, Hello, Dr. Steven. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I think you should people may not like this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Let me firstly, I would like to thank you because I know that uh, time now in Australia, it's very early. And uh, thank you for giving us your time. I know that it's something like 5 a.m. at your end right now, almost. Uh, yeah, 5.30 a.m., but that's okay. I'm delighted to be here, as you know. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you so much. Delighted also to host you. If you allow us just to send some greetings for our uh, global audience around the world before we start our episode. So we have our friend Shaquille. He's saying Thank thanks you. for sharing your thoughts. Thank you so much Thank for, you, for tuning in. Our friend and our brother Shadil Jackie saying leaders 
احمد خالد انا بس ثانك يو سو ماتش فور ثانك يو سو ماتش اور فريند غاده سالم وي نيد ثانك يو سو ماتش فيرستلي فور كم فور يور كويشن ثانك يو فور فور جوينينج اند اولويز هافينج ا لوت اوف جريت فاليوز تو شير اند كويشن ثانك يو سو ماتش غاده كم تو يو وي هاف اور فريند اولغا Good afternoon from Ecuador. Thank you so much Hi, for yeah, tuning for in. Yes, thank you. We have our friend Arbi. Thank you for uh, chatting, Ahmed. Thank you so much. Thank you, Arbi. Our friend Ligia. Good afternoon from oh, Costa Rica. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you so much. Last but not least, our friend Firas. Thanks for sharing. Thanks also for thank tuning you. in. Thank you. Thank you. Encourage everyone, of course, to. to come in with uh, with uh, with questions uh, in your mind with our hot topic and expert of course uh, Mr. Steven and uh, yeah let's go Ahmed and uh, start definitely. our show questions uh, honestly I'm so excited definitely because this topic today I think it's very compelling and uh, most companies I think they are annihilated after covid-19 what they can do and how yeah. they can manage their business Will it be the conventional way or not? That's why we will come into that point, Dr. Stephen Thacker. If you allow me, I'll ask you this question: uh, What companies shall do in terms of S and O P post COVID nineteen? What shall they change, or shall they be on the same way that use uh, that they used to have before, or shall they change something based on your great experience? Thank you, thank you. There are a number of things which need to. of the way companies operate S&OP in today's world and whether it's a post-COVID world or a, or a pre-COVID world, the world has changed. And the S&OP process has been around, as we all know, for, for maybe 50 years. And the book S&OP requires some modification to suit a dynamic world. Why is that the case? Well, that's the case because a standard SNOP process works and was always designed in a stable world. Yeah. We don't have that today. So it seems to me that there are three critical things in a traditional SNOP process that we need to change. That doesn't mean that the fundamentals of SNOP change. Not at all. Not not in the slightest degree. But there are components of it. Which have remained kind of dormant. They've been in a good best practice S and O P plan always, but we've never had to use them, or hardly ever had to use them. Now they've become the primary focus. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, those three three things are firstly that the planning cycle traditionally for S and O P is a month. We start with a stat forecast at the beginning of the month. We have a demand planning meeting, a supply planning meeting, and so forth, and we finish the month with an executive review. Well, that works when the world is stable and things don't change very much in 30 days. Yeah. Fact is, it's far too dynamic now. Yes. So one of the designs that we always include with the clients that we work with, and we're currently working with 13 different. Companies helping them implement SNOP, and that's usually the case. And um, I've been doing this now you know, in a company and as a consultant now for 20 years. 
one of the things that we design is a standard wheel, if you like, which contains mm. all of the processes. But then what we've been highlighting is that there needs to be a little tiny wheel, if you like, inside mm. the cycle wheel, which we call fast track. Mm. And what fast track accommodates is a, a dynamic change mid-month or mid-cycle. So, for example, in a hypothetical situation, we end up on the last day of the month, we can have the executive SNOP, mm. the executive team stamp and sign off the plan and say, go and execute it. They finish the meeting, they walk out the door, and the sales director's there saying, we've just lost a customer. Or yeah. the director's there saying, our biggest supplier can only fly out of China now for... 50% of our demand because they don't have enough electricity to be able to keep the factory running for 20 days of 20 working days a month. <laughs> and we've just been advised and we've got two days notice. So there are two options when companies arrive at that position. Option number one is to do things the old way, which is to make a decision by silo. Mm -hmm. So say a decision and not tell anybody or operate or make a decision on how they plan they replan this constrained supply, but it's not integrated and, you know, SNOP is mm -hmm. integrated. Yeah. Or the other way that they would do it is wait for the whole cycle to run 30 days. Well, neither is acceptable in today's world. So we have this methodology that, called, that says fast track. So run the same process, but just do it instead of in 20 working days, do it in two working days or in two hours mm. if you and now we're finding that companies are doing and having to do that more and more and more. They may have to do it two or three a week, particularly with things like shipping delays and manufacturing output delays, particularly yeah. out of it. So that's, that's number one. It's just this need to be much more responsive, much more reactive, but still use the same process. Don't go doing a different planning process, just something to hit you from left field. Number two, which is uh, also what we teach when we roll out SNOP implementations, is that it's wonderful to create one vision of the future. We call that the most likely. So that's unconstrained demand plan, an unconstrained demand uh, supply, an unconstrained access to One option of the future. Here's one vision of what the future forecast looks like. We've all agreed we can support that that becomes our business plan. That in today's world is totally unacceptable. While that might be the most likely, what we have failed to understand is, yes, but what if this goes wrong? What if this goes mm -hmm. right? So, worst case, so it's really about, let's put together a whole series of scenario plans because we show, we show in our charts a cumulative, um, Cumulative result to the end of the financial year. Are we going to hit budget or we aren't going to hit budget? And every month we get an update. Now, the most likely scenario says, yes, we're going to hit budget, but the gap between the best case and the worst case is very mm. narrow. Then our risk profile is very narrow. We don't need to order more stock than we are suggesting. We don't need to change the plan significantly. But if the gap is line and worst case is here, then that's a massive upturn and a massive down risk. Yeah. So as an executive team, we may say, thank you very much for this uh, wonderfully constructed 
um, demand and supply plan, but the risk is too high if we have this upside or downside in holding too much stock. Choose mm-hmm. a different line, if you like, a different pathway forward. And then the third thing that's changed that we need to take into account is not only doing lots of scenario planning, but the life of a supply planner has changed. <laughs> it, it used to be, in came the unconstrained demand plan. Supply plan, <laughs> they, produce, they, they, they produce a plan that would deliver 99% of what they needed. And maybe there was one or two, sorry, I can't do this. Maybe we bring in a month so I can still meet the demand plan. Now, poor supply planners, we have one company that's placed nine months ago on, on factories out of um, uh, China. They're just arriving now. They don't know which ship they're on, container in, they don't know which month. So the demand planner's workload, in our view, has doubled. Yeah. <laughs> and, and supply planners now are having to update in actual fact, supply planners have become forecasters. Yeah. Why? Because they've got a forecast. Stock <laughs> arrives. Order it today. Ninety days later, it would arrive, and it would arrive like clockwork. Now it's arriving in in forty five, not forty five days, but in sixty days, in ninety days, in one hundred and eighty days, in two hundred and ten days, and there's precious little visibility as to when it's going to arrive, and yet our whole supply plan is premised. On when the stock arrives. Mm-hmm. So, as a company, yeah. he's having to forecast when things arrive and produce also a series of scenarios. So, his role has dramatic changed. And I, my prediction is that all three of those things, but scenario and the supply plan ahead forecast, until this international supply chain stabilized, which I don't believe will be until the end of next year, not even this year, those very significant play in how we run SNOP, which we never used to have to worry about. Wonderful. Very well uh, articulated and uh, great uh, points. Uh, uh, Stephen, thank you. I liked about the, this fast track, especially, and the people, the, and this dynamic world now and all the crisis that happened, uh, COVID followed with the war that's happening now. So people uh, have to be more uh, dynamic, teams have to be more dynamic. So we cannot keep sticking to like a frozen period or something like that. We just need to try to be more flexible. I know it's hectic and it's, of course it's a lot of work <laughs> as you said to the supply planners and the demand planners, but this is the reality uh, now. Or, or things will go wrong either in inventory level, especially in inventory, either it will go very high or it will go out of stock. So we need to be uh, more flexible. Great, great, uh, great way to start the show and a great uh, really answer for this question. Thank you, Stephen. I think what you've said just summarized that flexibility of the organization and how to be resilient and not just, you know, have one size fits all that before COVID-19, we were planning something and post COVID-19, we'll plan the same thing. I think if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. So post COVID-19, I believe that the, the, the leadership, uh, it implies based on the quality of leadership that they, they have in terms of how they, they can be flexible of taking the decisions and how they can face the reality. 
because once COVID-19 happened or any, I would say any crisis, not necessarily COVID-19, but any disruption that could happen for the business itself, most people, they got panic and most organizations, they got panic instead of just analyzing what is the issue from the downstream and the upstream, as you, as you speak from the demand and the supply side, how they can come near to the, the customer and understand what is the demand affection, I would say, and the, the demand shaping that could happen from the, the, the downstream side. And at the same time also, uh, coming back to the supply chain network and understand what will be the implication because of this disruption that happens in each and every node in the supply chain, not necessarily also from the sourcing units or just manufacturing point of view, but also from the lanes of logistics and how it could just uh, affect the, the supply chain and the business as sustainability of it, which is, I believe, something it's very essential that how can we be flexible? Flexibility, it's a key. So thank you so much for giving us this amazing three points. If you allow us, we'll jump into the first question. Yeah. We have our yeah, from friend. the audience, yeah. Yes. So we're oh. talking about uh, Ver Veronia and Abil. Thank you, Veronia, for, of course, for joining in and this great question. Uh, she's talking about how to create a more flexibility for forecasts versus challenges we face and safety stocks KPI without hitting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this, is called, this is called a magic wand. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody has a magic wand. Yeah. <laughs> but there, are, there are things now that executive teams, the managing director and the executive teams, and I, I don't believe most have, but most all now need to realize that the consequence of the changes that I spoke about earlier mean two things for them. Number one, that the old paradigms of how much inventory I need to hold are not like this mathematical outcome of lead times, which are much longer than the yeah. forecast and demand variability, which is much, much less precise. Mm. And I think might be a constant, but two out of the three is that the inventory has significant change so you can't hold the old KPI how much inventory you're going to hold maybe you used to hold 90 mm. days you still hold 90 days now maybe you have to do the calculation work out how much it should be but it won't be 90 so that's the thing that's changed the second thing that's changed for management is particularly is that um, rule are, but they used to have the basic rubber stamp, yes, another plan. It used to be produced very well, it was sound, it was good assumptions, it was easy to understand, and there was not much variability. So they would simply approve it. Now, particularly if there's a very significant difference between the worst case and the best case, they have to make a decision. So one client of ours, for example, who we've been consulting with recently, their executive SNOP said you need to hold, for example, this amount of inventory based on the demand. But your your worst your best case, your worst case scenario in terms of the 
best case scenario sales is this much more. Why? Because you had a lot of stock during when COVID hit. Um, there was an increase in demand, so you flushed through all that inventory. You then ordered a lot more, thinking that demand increased, and demand dropped off. Yeah. So then you got all this extra inventory. Then you started worrying about it, but then demand started to pick up. And what happened was your competitors hadn't ordered as much stock, so they've run out, and you've got a lot of extra stock system. So your sales are probably not going to do this. They're probably going to do this. You'll have a spike, of course, in demand. Your inventory will drop, but you'll be out of stock in the next 60 days unless you order significantly more than what the plans But executives now have to look at the scenarios and make an informed decision, or you could call it a guess, as to which of those trajectories one previously or seldom now they have to make a gut feel and decision about what position they're going to take and what risk profile they can the marketplace so that's changed so all the whole kpis about 90 days of working cover inventory um you have executive decision and it's 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 impossible to premise those on what happened What's going on? I'm not sure. Thank you. Hopefully, it did. Yeah, thank you so much. I, it, I think it's very well summarized. And if you allow me, I'll just add something. I think forecasts will never be right. Let's let's admit this. And uh, it's it's the 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 biggest challenge that you'll have in any business. You will see every uh, most people that they just claim that our forecast accuracy is very low. That's why we need to have most probably higher inventory and uh, coverage. But I just I like also to, to make it very simple. So do we use a real strategy for the supply chain or just we are moving as is? And what do I mean here by uh, this? I think, as you said, one of the challenges that you could have uh, in the safety stock and the higher coverage definitely could be the lead time. So are we using the right sourcing strategies? Because I do believe if you have a higher, a big portfolio for the company, definitely you could have different sourcing strategies. But the more that you move from uh, exporting into, and importing into just the localization, it will be better. So are we investing the right uh, time and the right effort on our sourcing strategies, are we just investing the time for our supply relationship management and CRM and looking for a real sourcing strategies for our products or our uh, portfolios? Uh, this this thing, I think most companies, they just accept the status quo and they move by this, that we need to uh, uh, just enhance our, improve our forecast accuracy. And by this way, we will be able to uh, reduce our uh, safety stock or reduce our uh, the, the game from other side, our uh, inventory, which is not the case. You have many variables. So forecast accuracy, you could, you could just have it like uh, calculated on one month lag, two month lag, three month lag. This will not be the case. So if you have a higher lead time, if you have MOQs, higher MOQs, all of these contribute definitely in your uh, inventory coverage. So you have to think in a different way from a sourcing strategy and eliminating all the MOQs. This is just 
I would just put my uh, experience with that. Thank you. Can I that? Because what you're saying is right. Um, at the moment, forecast performance has dropped dramatically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the way to fix it is to do one of two things. One, you've got your out, which is effectively reducing time through a policy that drives distance. At the moment, that no matter who your supplier is, that is very, very, very hard to get. And it's certainly the right answer. But in today's world, it's very difficult. What I think is that too many companies focus on the wrong metric. And forecast accuracy, I don't believe, is the best metric. What I believe is the best metric, what is the forecast accuracy of our A-class SKU? Yes, yes, the 80-20 or the, yes. Because if you want to drive inventory down, if you want to drive the safety stock component of the inventory down, which normally is at around about 25% of your total, just focus on the A's. Forget about this. And don't worry too much about the B's, but just be really strict driving your forecast accuracy. Definitely, definitely. I totally agree with you. And this is uh, also from my experience, this is what I, I, I focus on uh, as the first step always. Because this always reaps the results if we focus on the 80-20 or the A-class and, uh, and be strict about uh, our forecast accuracy based on uh, the lead times and as Ahmed saying, like two or like three. Uh, it will make a huge effect, especially that we're now in times of uh, high disruption and, uh, and the crisis and all that. So we don't need to focus uh, more than that, more than like the 50, if we get like 20 to 30 to 50 SKUs responsible, for example, from a thousand SKU portfolio for a big uh, uh, sales or big top line. <laughs> so it's great if we can, uh, if we can hit, hit on them, yeah, the, the, the accepted forecast accuracy. And it's always about like uh, this ABC and of course, focusing on, depending on the service level, focusing on the important markets that generate profits that their forecast accuracy is better. So it's, uh, as you said, it's about uh, focusing on the right areas. We will not be able yes. now to hit it uh, well uh, in all areas. Yes. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Ahmed. I'll jump into the next question from our friend, Feroz. Uh, he is asking, one of the most relevant topic that companies are looking to resolve against the COVID-19 is how they could deal with a stable inventory level without making the plant on shortage by avoiding overstock too. I think it's all about the, all about the, the supply and, and the yes and, the and supply, supply and demand balance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yes. critically to that question, if your executive team still believe that they can run their business today based on pre-COVID inventory levels. I haven't found a company yet that can do that. Inventory has gone up and, and CFOs need to realize that that's reality. Yes, I agree. Uh, probably they, it's hard to, to convince them. They are, sometimes they are always, they're not looking, they're looking like bookkeeping and accounting. They're looking about the inventory level. They're looking more about like uh, the write-offs and all that. They are so strict about that, but 
they should be part of uh, of the team also and they should be looking about the for financial forecasting and uh, uh, i think that uh, finance should not be distant they should not be work as accounting now they should be uh, looking at forecasts and all the dynamics that happens in, in the market so i echo your uh, your uh, what you're saying and uh, i totally agree with you well interesting case study we have a client at the moment had a conversation with on Friday. So I had the CEO, the CFO, the sales director, and the uh, operations director all together. And it was their their executive SNOP at the end of the few days latest, but uh, nonetheless. And their inventory, you don't know the company, so I can tell you their current inventory projection was 145 million Australian dollars worth of inventory. The CFO said, but I need to reduce it by 10 million. So he said, how, how do I do that? This is an unacceptable number. <laughs> Interesting response. Um, so him was, if, do you want the same service levels? Yeah. Yes, we do. We don't want to reduce customer service. Okay, so let's hold that. Can you improve your forecast accuracy better than what you've got today? Well, no, we can't because it's due to too many external factors. We're using good forecasting software we have a good process but okay so that's not changeable can you shorten your lead times mm, exactly no, we, we can't we have suppliers are all running longer lead times than they used to so if you can't change any of those three things yeah, I, have to accept. <laughs> I can take 10 million out but you know what you're going to get you're going to get stock outs and lost sales which yeah. do you want Lost sales, or you want to carry more inventory? That's a strategic decision. You can make that. I can cut it out and show you how to do that. But do you want the lost sales? Well, no, I don't want lost. Sales. Well, you you can't have your cake and eat it, as the expression goes. Good <laughs> <laughs> expression. Yeah. Yes, thank you, Stephen. I think we have another question from our friend. Uh, Jason. Jason Batista is spelled um, Jason. Thank you for for joining and thank you for this question. So it's like uh, as COVID nineteen illustrated traditional season operations planning SNOP may not be able to keep up with today's dynamic developments. Should we ditch SNOP entirely, or can a strong season operation execution SNOP uh, strategy rescue the day? No, oh, that's just a wonderfully phrased question. Yeah, great. At the end. The answer is unequivocally, you don't SNOP, but you supplement SNOP with SNOE, or yes. I call it. But, but SNOE you didn't used to need very often. Now we need to use it and as, as an integral part of our overall SNOP package. So you keep them both because not everything, not everything is subject to massive variability. Not everything is subject to to uh, unusual lead times. So hang on to the stuff that's constant where SNOP works best. You know, it's a round peg and a round hole. But for the high volatile things, um, yes, you need something you can respond to much more quickly. That's fast track that I call it, or SNOP as you call it. Yeah, I totally, to totally with you. And this is uh, really, it's a very good question. Because I see now more and uh, more companies looking like under their feet and looking because of the, this time of uh, of crisis that we are in and panic. So they are focusing more. Let's focus on this month. What are we going to do this month? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, closing of the quarter. But 
we have to look also strategically, no matter what, what we know that the accuracy now is not well, but we have to understand what will happen uh, next six months. We, we cannot focus only on this month or focus only on quarter closing or focus on what's going to happen this month and ditch the, the whole the whole cycle. It will be uh, uh, it will be like a very big uh, gamble. Uh, you must have the, you must have the vision of, of what's happening, no matter even if it's like 30 to 40 percent accuracy, but still you have some kind of vision what's happening, what's coming. Uh, what's coming, what's on the ground, what we expect will be on the ground, what we expect will be in the markets. So I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm echoing you also, you cannot ditch the total process, but we should focus, yeah, we should have a focus and we should have a part of s and we definitely, definitely, especially in these times. Yes, I can see also, you know, the, whether you name it, whatever you want, S and OP, yeah. IBP, uh, definitely, I would say that from, S and OE, I think it was the best time to focus on S and OE, just an execution, whenever there is a crisis. So yeah. you're just focusing at a specific time for a short term, just to override it. But this, as as uh, Stephen and you, Hamamzi said, that you cannot you cannot leave uh, S and OP because S and OP it's a default by default. It's a business, uh, uh, just a process which connects between the business strategy and the day to day operations. And the business strategy, I believe, it's a long way. So you will not be able to cater for if you don't have a visibility on the long term. But the laser focus, definitely, if you have a crisis, if you have disruptions, you have to focus on the short term to override this challenge. And once you stabilize, come back. So I, I, I just I can say that uh, SNOE, if you can go more in, into a granular level, into a product level, into a customer level, to understand what's happening on that levels. Yes, you can use the SNOE, but this is will not override SNOP. SNOP will be there at any time. That's why we have our global SNOP community. Okay. So <laughs> the live scenario client that we're working with in Asia to yeah. manufacture two products. And they have in one particular, we're doing three countries, but in one particular country. They have seven manufacturing lines wow. in one factory. Of those seven lines, yeah, of those seven lines, five of them are getting close to capacity. They can't put additional lines if they need to expand in the same manufacturing facility that they've used up all their space. Mm. But what's looming for them is what are we going to do with these five lines? Do we completely relocate manufacturing? Do we take an extra two or three lines but put them in a different facility? Um, all sorts of strategic questions that, that take nine to 12 months and longer to implement. Exactly. So if you ditch SNOP and just... You're not saying you're losing. Yeah. They're going to end up with a serious problem of not being able to meet demand the nine month, 12 month lead time to fix their problem. They need to be looking at that today. And how they're gonna do that and figure out how many lines they need, what their strategy is going to be, SNOP gives them that signal. Exactly, capacity planning, make or buy decisions, all this, uh, you can, that's why you cannot uh, ditch uh, SNOP, I totally agree, strategic sourcing, uh, all these kind of decisions are uh, definitely part of, uh, of, of long-term long planning, yeah. 
100% because as you said, Stephen and Ahmed, if you are looking into the long-term capacity planning and if you don't have the visibility of the forecast at a family level, I would say, and uh, you don't have this, you'll not be able to cater for the, if there is any uh, change or demand or just a peak in the demand of the forecast in the long term, whether we, what, what is it, whatever, it, it's the driver itself, the promotion, innovation, whatever for the product itself. So if you don't have the visibility on the long term, you will not be able to, to cater for. So just looking into that will allow you to raise your capexes in, in, in advance. And as, as uh, mentioned by uh, Dr. Stephen, it's it's all about the lead times also because don't think that over day or overnight we will be able to have these lines uh, set up, installed, and we have acceptance tests and then it will be run. No, it needs also lead time. So if you don't have this visibility, definitely you will have most probably lost IMS in market sales or sales in your top line sales, which is uh, definitely any company doesn't want to have this situation at, at this time. Thank you so much for the illustration, Stephen and Ahmed. And Thank this you. is will open another topic, I think, yeah. which is the question that we could have here, uh, Dr. Stephen, which is, has resilience on historical forecasting changed as a part of S&OP process? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> reliance, reliance, yeah. Great question. But once again, we all know this, don't we? That traditionally we could rely fairly heavily on typical forecasting, which was based on history. Well, history is not repeating itself very well anymore. In fact, so many times we find unprecedented <coughs> signals and unprecedented events in the world, in the marketplace. The reliance on the statistical forecast now has diminished. It's almost like the pendulum. the pendulum used to be that it was very heavily dependent on historical forecast and then supplemented that by intellectual knowledge in the marketplace about what's happening, what are our competitors doing, what are products doing. But that was that was only sort of tweaking the historical forecast. We relied very heavily on it. Now the pendulum's not here. Now the pendulum's one to the other end where we just have to be so much more reliant on not the statistical forecast, but people telling us what do you think is going to happen? And that's part why a forecast activity has dropped because it's just not a repeatable trend. Things, you know, at least in, in most countries of the world, during COVID, we had shutdowns and demand plummeted. Yeah. And demand peaked. And we, we have this horrible, horrible curve, even for A-class products, which used to be quite stable. They were bouncing over. So traditional reliance on historical forecasting, which would take a long, you know, we asked for three years of history to embed into the statistical forecast for the software to be able to use. But month by month, it's changing. So the software has to find on what happened last month and what happened six months ago. What happened six months ago is irrelevant. Yes. So we might rely on, on our salespeople and our marketing people telling us this is what we think is going to happen. And the executive team predicting, for example, when is a lockdown going to end? And what's that going to do to demand? When are customers going to replenish their pipeline? 
or do they already have a full pipeline and therefore our lag time before we can start pushing product into the market uh, at a sell-through rate is going to stabilise. So that also causes the, the, the change and that's causing our forecast accuracy to diminish as well. Not because anybody's at fault, but because they predict. Yes, I, I love the how you put it. And uh, just if you allow me, I'll give something. I think that you put it in the right frame of uh, thought, Dr. Stephen, because we are always saying this for demand planning. It's demand planning. It's not only just relying on the historical forecast or historical sales and predicted based on some statistical analysis. No, that the role of the demand planning is something beyond this. And I believe that the role of S and OP is you have you should have like a, a representative inside the S and OP, whether sales, trade, marketing, whether anyone, who represent the voice of the customer. So it's not only about the history because history has many variables inside: inventory, challenges of listing, delisting, innovations, failed innovations. All of those stuff could be blended and listened. That's why S and OP. It's all about people just staying together, understand what happens in the market and what is the status quo, what's happening here, and how this could affect the trends on the forecast, the coming forecast, and how can we combine all of this to have like a realistic forecast that will not have any hit in terms of shortage in inventory or any hit on, on the service level. So this is the aim of the demand planning and the, the SLOP itself. Thank you. So we jump into the next oh. question. I think it's very compelling question. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. from, from your experience also, do you think uh, that we need like uh, to look at a constrained uh, supply from a different angle? Did you say a cost trend? Constrained, constrained supply. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here's another. Uh, it used to be that, and, we, and well, let me just put it this way. There used to be uh, three key uh, phrases that we use when we create, and we still do, but three key phrases when we produce the SNOP cycle. First of those is that demand side of the business much must produce an unconstrained demand plan that's still the same today that's sacrosanct you, you, we can't change that yes. you can't okay, you we can't have sales forecasting to budget we can't have sales forecasting to something that's too optimistic or too pessimistic so sales have to produce an unconstrained but realistic that that has changed then when we went through to supply, supply can used to produce a plan which took the constrained demand plan and in most cases was able to deliver against that, produce a plan against that. We can make it, we can source it, we can get it in the month that you need it, in the volume you need it, the location you need it. That now we've suddenly got a brave new world, we've got this constrained supply which we've never really had seriously in the past. And so supply plans struggling, well, what do I do when I have constrained supply? And what we're finding in two 
where we're helping them is that their response is, if, for example, the demand is for a, a, a thousand units and supply can only deliver 500 of those, they just produce a plan based on that 500, which is, which is just not acceptable now. Yeah. So, as I said before, their workload has doubled. Now what they have to do is they have to realise that they can only supply half of that, come up with the contingencies. Yes. But, but then before that plan in or, or even push that plan up through for executive approval at executive estimate, they need to go back to sales and get sales input. Oh, we can only provide, I can only supply 500 of these. Here's my contingencies. Which of these do would you like to choose? I can bring it in a month earlier and hold the I can air freight it, but that means our cost goes up and that will yeah. affect obviously. Or can you substitute it for this other product? But that's not the decision. It's a sales decision. So suddenly, mid-month and mid-producing their supply plan, they've got all this iterative discussion with the demand planner back to sales team to say, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Which which of these? So that's for one. And then we've suddenly incurred as well this constraint that we've never really had before, and that is we've got a finance constraint. Yeah. And finance is saying, I don't care what your plan looks like. If your plan says I need to spend $10 million and raise $10 million in POs, I haven't got the funds anymore. You can only produce a plan for $8 million. So once again, the supply plan has got to go back and recut the plan based on $8 million. Now, how does he take 20% of that uh, supply plan out? Well, no. he could just prorate everything and just multiply everything point eight and say here's my new plan <laughs> but once again he's got to go back to sales hey i can only spend eight million i can't spend ten which products do you absolutely have to have i've started with the a's and worked my way down but it's not his decision it's got to be sales we are going to be out of stock of these items sales which items are you prepared to be out of stock on and which ones can you can't be yeah. so once again he's got this so he's we're going to need two supply plans where we used to need one or the length of time the supply plan needs to double and typically in an snop cycle during a month doubling of the time not really an acceptable outcome so we're stuck but this constraints which we don't used to see very much and we've got this new phenomenon that we met never seen before called financial constraint plan both of those suddenly impact on on the snop cycle that we didn't have to worry about previously uh, i like how we put it again and you remind me by if i come back by the experience in when i was in supply planning and i think one of the major challenges in the supply chain which is the lack of business acumen and let, let's let's admit this uh, when it comes to, um, I, I will not speak about demand prioritization, but I speak a little bit about supply prioritization. So uh, let's assume that I have like uh, capacity constraints on a specific line and I have a limited capacity. And I have to produce some portfolio of SQs on the same resource itself. How I will be able to prioritize this? And if I'm looking at it from a supply chain point of view, I look at it from a very silo point. 
which is the 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 conversion cost whatever any sq that will give me like uh, more volumes I, I will move into it which is uh, uh, honestly i was in the same place that's why i, I it's it, it was but when i moved to the demand planning i understood it from another perspective which is from the business perspective when it goes to the demand planning we lack something very essential which is the cash up the cash up itself when you are just converting the volume into value and here it comes many things the, the price structure of the company and the cost structure of the company here it comes and get translated on pnl into pnl and based on this cash up i will be able to prioritize my sqs based on the business strategy if the sqs if the company is looking for profitability then i will fill all the capacity based on the profitability profitable sqs i will prioritize it then the lowest sqs that profitable and i go on if it's like a top line sales the highest uh, sales sqs i will go by this prioritize it so lack of business acumen lack of not understanding what's happening from the demand side and cash up it devastates many things and as you said uh, steven which is the gap between the unconstrained and constrained this is the financial gap that you have to look at into it which is the sq granularity based on that you can go for the prioritization so it's just i needed to answer yeah this this is a great uh, ahmed uh, also it reminds me that we when we face also this it always uh, come that putting a map of the brands which was, as you said the most profitable where are we going to hit to prioritize put uh, put put a map that we're going for example uh, putting the countries from the highest priorities to less priority or or putting priorities based on tender deliver based on delivery standards or or, or or countries special special countries that have high profitability so this is a must uh, must to be done now especially in this times of uh, crisis we must have a priority list so that uh, we don't lose everything and we try to hit our uh, profitability targets definitely thank you steven thank you ahmed if we can move That's into the next question, question. Yeah, yes please yeah. yes so uh, I think we have our LinkedIn user. So there is a technical challenge, but anyway. So our our uh, friend is asking, or she's asking, great topic of discussion, Ahmed. Things are changing rapidly. How to cope with the situation following the same trends as in 2021? Or do you focus on something new? Thank you for the repeated guest and uh, the guest who's joining us today thank you so much thank you so much mm, and thank you too. Um, forget about 2021 forget about 2020 in fact forget about what happened three months ago forget yeah. his <laughs> continue continue to use good forecasting software continue to use it to try to create a baseline because baseline calculations now are very very difficult but you are so much more on somebody all on to tell you what's going to happen in the next three, six months. So your reliance on the past now has become not useless, but it's ancient history and it's just not relevant. It's just not relevant to today. So that's the short answer to your question. Much more reliant and therefore accept the fact that because history is not repeating itself, because you can't be 
what happens in the forecast accuracy diminished because your forecast accuracy diminishes, your business needs to hold more inventory. There's no other way around. Or that's not the only solution, or you have more loss savings. That's the real world. Thank you, Stephen. It's a very clear answer. Let's move into the next question. Just if you allow me, I'll ask yeah. you this one. Sure. So, uh, from your experience, especially in, in this era where uh, disruption is everywhere, can we rely uh, on the customer forecast right now? Or there yeah. is any anything else that we oh, can rely on? For example, collaborative planning, forecasting, replenishment. Replenishment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... Once again, when we rolled out an SNOP process, one of the steps that we insist is critical is before the demand plan is finalised, that you engage with the customer. But the bit is, and this sounds terrible, engaging customer, sorry, engaging with major customers. We're not with all due respect to C-class customers and what they're going to yeah. do. But and in fact, not even the A-class customers, but just the top three or four or five or six, choose the number, we don't care, but okay. engage. But engaging with them does not mean, please give me your forecast. Uh -huh. Because again, this is going to yes. say, I apologize, but my experience is the customer forecasts are terrible. So don't I ask, agree. <laughs> don't ask for them and don't use them. But a much cleverer approach is when you run your statistical forecast and you overlay that with new product introductions, deletions, superset promotional activity, mm. recut that forecast by major customer. And then once a month, on, a, on about the first week of the month, you go and visit, whether that's virtual or face-to-face, -face, doesn't matter, but visit with the customer and you say to them, we have cut a forecast just for you, just based on your historical, what you bought from us. We've presented what we think are new products that are coming in the next 12 months, and we've put a forecast in there, and even more importantly, we're presenting this forecast on the basis of A-class SKUs first, then Bs and then Cs. I do not want to talk to you about C-class SKUs. In fact, I don't even really want to talk to you about the Bs, but I definitely want to review the As with you, and there's not many of those, and I want to review that for the next three to six, because that's a critical period. Both of our successes, rely on how well we both do with forecasting A-class SKUs in the three to six month time horizon. This is what our forecast is. You think these numbers look right. Yeah. If a customer, for example, retailer, the response might be, this looks like a good forecast, but got to tell you, we're opening three new stores in the next six months. You need to add that to your forecast or we're closing yeah. three stores. Refurbish your lines, and we haven't. So, you get their collaborative input, and you change the forecast, add that, and then you take that back to your business. So, that's 
it is best practice. That's a smart way to engage with the customer. But, and what's but? The but is that in pre-COVID world, that would be very powerful. In the world we live in today, they face the same problem that we all do. And that is, they have trouble being able to validate and forecast as well. So because of that, this step now suddenly means that best practice companies are taking the front foot and being recognised as being proactive, not reactive, engaging with their customers to share forecasts and therefore share what they're going to buy. So next month, when you come back and you sit with the same customer and you say, here's our new forecast, and they complain at you and say, but yeah, but last month you ran out of stock of A-class <laughs> But remember, we both agreed we'd sell 100 and you sold 200? Well, it's no wonder we ran out of stock. We have to work together to make sure that next time we don't forecast 100, we forecast two. Because we both missed out. You missed out on the sales and so did we. Yes. How can we improve our forecast accuracy together so we don't miss those sales? And they become part of this integrated business planning that, that extends back to suppliers who we share our forecasts with and customers who we collaboratively forecast with. Now we've suddenly got a better chance to engage them on that basis. But don't ask them for their forecast. Don't don't ask for it. Don't. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I, I think you remind me also, Stephen, with something. Uh, when we speak about the forecast from the customer could be like crap, you know, because I, I think there are many variables here. Could be here. Uh, we are looking at it from... Uh, from a supplier to customer. And we should also look at it from a customer to su the supplier. If you are, uh, your customer is a customer for you, uh, you have to put yourself also in the other side. Does your customer, you will be like an A supplier for it? Yes or no? Because if you have like AA, I think one of the mm -hmm. best models that it's working right now when you have like uh, a joint business planning, and embed this voice into your S&OP because if you have a customer and you are a supplier, it's a mutual benefit at the end of the day. It, you contribute to the P&L of the customer and at the same time also the supplier, it, it, the availability especially for him also your SQs or your products on the shelf, it represents some uh, of the, the retail margins it's big. So from that perspective, I think joint business planning and uh, doing a forecast at this side and uh, uh, capability building and as as you said, uh, Stephen and the Hamamsi about investing more time in CPFR. Just no, why why shall we move into only forecasting? Why don't we look into an integration between a supply chain? We look into system integration instead of just forecasting. We can have like uh, demand-driven supply chain instead. So by this way, it will definitely enhance our uh, service level. Definitely, it will enhance also our inventory. So all of this, I think it's it's one of the essential things, which is bringing the voice of the customers, as you said, the Stephen, which is a customers that they contribute too much into your P and L and into your uh, definitely cash and everything bringing it into one place, uh, understand their challenges, uh, stay on one table, speak the same language, and look into the same vision. So by this way, you will be able to change drastically the S&OP and your business.
and responsibility to do that rests with us. Yes, yeah, sharing the risk. Yeah, yeah, we have to be proactive. Yeah, yeah. Let me just thank you so much. First of all, uh, yeah. Stephen, for your time. As we said, that time is flying. It's now mostly one hour and four minutes. And yeah. uh, as we mentioned also at the beginning, the amount and the knowledge that we have it, uh, received from you today, it's definitely it's a knowledge that we will not find in books. A lot great values, amazing experience, and great stories in, in the business itself. Oh, yeah. So we'd like to thank you so much for your... A valuable time and your experience and hopefully that we can have like another episode in amazing topics because i know that you have 20 years of experience it will never oh, yeah. just it will never be yeah. an hour yeah thank <laughs> you Stephen, for so much and thank you for the lovely audience and their questions uh, today and it was a great episode and we hope uh, to see you soon Stephen. and we are uh, lucky to have you today and we, have, we were wishing you a great day thank you so much I have very much appreciated it. I, I'm, I share the passion that we all do. SP is a wonderful process, but we need to adapt it to as well. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some thoughts and feedback. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day and thank have a good night. Thank you for listening to our Global S&OP Community Podcast. We hope that you have absorbed some values from this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to be notified every week with the new episode. You can visit our website ahmedkhaled.co or ahmedkhaled.co. We believe that one word, one story or one conversation could transform your life. Stay tuned next week with a great thought leader in S&OP. Have a wonderful week ahead.